bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com slash us slash switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Nice. And this is Playing With with Science. Science. Today we endeavor to settle one of motorsport's biggest issues, which is, what is better? Well, in scientific terms, Chuck's muscle-bound NASCAR mm-hmm. or my turn right as well as left super sleek Formula One races. Ah, I see that little dig you snuck in there already, but we know NASCAR's Merca, damn it. Merca! That's <laughs> what we're talking about. And because Gary and I have driven ourselves into the weeds arguing and he can't see why I am right. Correct. Uh, we've called on the services of an expert. We have, and we are really excited to have another incredible guest at the top of their game, which means Dr. Deandra Leslie Pilecki will adjudicate and decide which one of us takes the checkered flag first. And you know she's good. She's got three names. That means she's smart. Yes. <laughs> well, she, she's going to be smarter than us, which isn't oh, setting dear. the bar Please, very high, ends, but yes, I do believe exactly. way beyond. Would you like to go through the list of the good doctors? Yes, Dr. Deandra Leslie Pelecki is the author of The Physics of NASCAR. Yeah. She blogs about the science of auto racing uh, at Building Speed, appears every Friday on the Sirius XM Speedway satellite radio program. It's NASCAR Channel 90. Oh. Uh, and she kind of, that was nice, man. And comments on the current tech-related events. She's a PhD in condensed matter physics from Michigan State University, and she spent most of her academic career in the Department of Physics at the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. And one thing you didn't say was the doctor's specialty of nanotechnology, particularly nanomedicine, which wow. I would love to do a show. Look at that! On that, that would be incredible, Doctor D. Deandro. Welcome, welcome to Playing with Science. I am happy to be here. Well, yeah, right. we are so happy to hear have you. All right, let's get into um, the business. Right, because I'm polite, we'll start with NASCAR. All right. Yes. Uh, uh, the better of the two sports, clearly. To be decided. Right. Right, new regulations introduced recently mean cars are slower, if that being slightly slower. So, please, how do slower cars make for better racing? Well, you know, it's a little different than if you're looking at a field like, say, drag racing, yeah, where it's right. really all about the speed. Right. Um, Steve Letarte, who used to be Jeff Gordon's crew chief, told me once, anyone can go fast straight. This is turning true. Turning fast. Yeah, turning fast is where the challenge is. And so when you're coming to a corner, you're doing a bunch of things. You're slowing down, so right. the weight of the car is moving from the rear of the car to the front. Or a little... You're going around the corner, so you've got centripetal acceleration. Mm-hmm. And then you're speeding up again, so the weight is moving to the back of the car. So how fast you can go around that corner is really where races are won and lost. Not on the straightaways, but how fast you can turn. And sometimes turning slower actually lets you turn better. Okay, so now that you actually got into that, uh, why don't you, I didn't want to get into it, there's so get in the weeds so quickly, but you brought it up. Can you break down what drivers talk about when they talk about parts of a turn? Because some are like, oh, there's three parts of a turn. There's six parts of a turn. Oh, there's nine parts. Of, there are 19 parts of a turn, boy. That's what you don't understand. And the other thing uh, is... Uh, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is why NASCAR is so good, man. Oh. First of all, it's the only sport where people talk with a southern drawl that makes it sound even better. 
Know what I mean? So anyway, uh, the other thing is uh, what you described when you talked about the braking and the acceleration is, what do they call it? Load transfer or load shifting or something like that. So if you could talk about those two things, parts of turn and the load transfer and what that is all about from a physics standpoint. Sure. Well, let's start with one of the differences between NASCAR and Formula One, All right. which is there are as many turns as the driver has time to explain. So you can't have 19 turns because the driver wouldn't be able to explain them. And this is a difference. In Formula One, everyone back in the shop, the engineers, the people on the pit box, they know what the car is doing. NASCAR doesn't allow instrumentation on the cars, which means the only person who knows what the car is doing is the driver. So part, yeah. Ooh. And sometimes not even the driver. Okay. Yes, that would be me driving the car. That's I have no idea what this car is doing. That's the bit where the driver and the wall... Yeah. Right. <laughs> so go ahead. Carry on, please. Yeah, so this is where the driver has to convey to the crew chief what the car is doing. And to say it's slow around the corner is absolutely no help. I mean, the question is, well, where is it slow? Why is it slow? Uh. So you mentioned load transfer. Let's imagine you're sitting at a car and you put on the accelerator. You feel a force backward, right? Right. That's because the body of the car is attached to the wheels of the car by the suspension, which is a spring and a shock. Right. And so it's not rigidly attached. So when you step on the gas, the weight transfers from those front wheels to the rear wheels. Conversely, when you step on the brake, same thing. You go forward. It goes from the rear. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it goes from the rear to the front in that yep. case. When you turn, you guys have seen the tippy truck sign, you know, the one right, that says... Right, yeah, when you have a big high box truck, yep. and then it's up on two wheels because it, if, if it's going around the corner, it looks like the, the truck may uh, tip over. Right, and it may tip into the turn. Right. That's because of the forces on a bank track. So when you go into that turn, you've got all these forces. You've got the weight. I, I should mention, okay, so the reason why the weight is important is because how much grip you have depends on how much weight is pushing down on that wheel. Right. So imagine I had a tire and I, I pull it and it takes a certain amount of force. Then I ask you to sit on it. It's going to be harder for me to pull it now, right? Right. That tire's got more grip. Right. But I don't want weight on my car. I'm European. We do thin. We do, mm, <laughs> we do spurs and we true. do sleek. So, but I need weight on my car. So that's aerodynamic downforce. So how does NASCAR, because I know how the F1 guys go about playing with this because the shape's all very different. So how does NASCAR go about creating that? That's a good point because in, in, in F1, it's basically an upside-down plane. That's, that's what gives you the downforce in You've an F1 car. you got nothing good to say about it. No, I do not. It's a, it's a plane that don't even know how to fly right, boy. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a plane flying upside down. That's your F1. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what is uh, what's, what are the uh, downforce effects happening in NASCAR that gives you that or gives you the grip on the tires the, uh, the same way that it does in F1? It's pretty much the same thing. Now, as you pointed out, the NASCAR race car is about twice the weight of an F1 or an yeah. open-wheel car. Mm -hmm. So there is more weight due to the uh, mechanical. We call that mechanical load. So the NASCAR race car has more mechanical load. Um, but the aerodynamics is basically the same. You put out surfaces, and air molecules running into those surfaces actually push the car into the road. And air molecules are extremely small. And they exert an extremely tiny force, but there are a lot of them. Billions and, so, and billions. Literally billions and billions and probably more. Yeah. And so NASCAR uses the same thing. There's a wing on the, on, there's a, not a wing, there's a spoiler on the back and there's a splitter on the front. And those are the two main devices we use to get force down. Now, F1 uses a lot of underbody construction. Right. And they're actually trying to suck that car to the ground. Right. And that's not the game NASCAR plays. Yes. And so there isn't really that stuff going on in the bottom of the car in NASCAR. So also, too, when you look at the difference between the constructions of the two cars, the, uh, the Formula One car is a lot lower to the ground. How does that change the performance of the car? Well, you, um, so you mentioned load transfer. Yes. The amount of load transfer, think about the difference between driving an SUV or like a little Miata or an MG. Right. 
Right. In the Miata, in the Miata, you're low to the ground, so when you turn, you don't get as much load transfer. If you're in an SUV, your center of gravity is way off the ground, mm-hmm. which means when you turn, more weight transfers. That's why SUVs are much more likely to tip over, you know, than an MG. Gotcha. Wow, that is cool. Getting down, dude. Yeah, we're getting down to it. You got to get down with with the center of gravity. That's right. That's yeah. why they're low slung. That's yeah. why they're in the so. <clears throat> Go back because you've you've got a very predictable track for NASCAR. Um, I'm not I'm not breaking any news here, mm. but, <laughs> but yeah, thank you. Because <laughs> all I seem to do at the moment is, is watch my TV with breaking news. And but I'm guessing because that's all I can do because I don't have any experience here. That although there are forces in play, there are different forces in play on different parts of the car at the same time. And because this doesn't have a driver direct connect to a to a pit lane or a, t- a support team, the driver himself has to have such amazing intuition and 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 basically have a physical extension of themselves in the car. Mm. Did, either did you, you just did you just admit that NASCAR drivers are better than F one drivers? No. What? No. Okay. Don't twist my words. Sorry, Doc. <laughs> Go ahead. Was Doc. Saying. Go ahead. Sort of sounded to me like he did. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not doing well with the numerics here, am I? (laughs) But go ahead. Do either of you drive a stick shift? Yes. I've done. Okay, so you know when you're driving along, when you have your hand on that stick shift, you are feeling the car. Mm -hmm. You know what the engine is doing, and that's not the feeling you have like with an automatic transmission. And so in NASCAR, we talk about driving by the seat of your pants, and what that means is the feel. As you're in there, you are feeling what each one of those four tires is doing. You will hear drivers tell their crew chiefs, I think I'm getting a right front flat. So inside the car, they know which one of those tires is not behaving based on how it's turning, how it's going down the straightaways. Interesting. Hey, speaking of that, once again, you keep bringing these things up that lead to, you're like kneading dough. Talking to you is like kneading out a big pizza pie. It just keeps growing and growing. You and food again. I know. I'm so hungry. Uh, <laughs> so um, when you talk about the feel of the tires, feels like I'm getting a right front flat tire. Can you talk about the uh, weight distribution when you are going around the corners and since you're only going around the corner in one way, what's that do to tires? And are you allowed to compensate for that kind of wear in the tires that you put on the car? Or does everybody have to do it exactly the same way? Okay, well, let's start by pointing out that three times a year, there are 36 races in the NASCAR season. Three times a year, they do turn right. <laughs> so there are three road courses. Now you're they teasing me. Now you're right. teasing me. <laughs> it is possible. Okay. I've seen it myself in person. All right. Okay. <laughs> this is the so, only yeah. car you can buy with no right indicator. <laughs> Sorry, Doctor, you were saying. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, so as you're, uh, I'm trying to remember what you asked. I was talking about weight distribution going around the corner since you're going around tires. the corners to said the tires. And, and can you compensate, are you allowed to compensate for that since, you know, first of all, I don't know if this is right. So let me just paint the picture of that I see in my mind. You're going around the corner, the weight distribution shifts so that the outside tires are, like in a skier, are on the edges. And so they're being pressed down harder on the outside. The inside tire, just like a skier on a slalom course, looks like that inside leg. What that has to do, it's almost off the ground. As you see, like the skier, it looks like that ski is bouncing up and down because that skier is lifting his knee and he's riding the edge of the outside ski. So, is that the case in the car the same way? And are you allowed to do something to compensate for the wear and tear on the tires that are going to get the beating that they get going around the corners? Yeah, y'all don't need me. I think you got this one. Uh, That is exactly what happens. As you go around the turn, the weight shifts onto the outside tires. And those left tires, you can actually, at a place, a small track like Bristol or Martinsville, you will see them pick up. Steve Letarte also told me, he said, at a place like Martinsville, you could put your hand under the left front tire and you'd be fine. 
Now, the problem, of course, is that the left rear tire comes along right after that. So yeah, and crushes your hand. Practically, yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't want to do that. Right. you got to be quick. Unless you're very fast. It's a really good game of hot potato. So uh, going back to what Chuck was thinking, do you have a standard tire for NASCAR each race? Or do you have uh, a variation of solutions depending on whatever the team feels like on the, on the day? So in the 1970s, NASCAR had what they called the tire wars. Ah. And they basically everyone could pick their own tire manufacturer. Oh, wow. And the tire manufacturers were trying to outdo each other. Mm. And, you know, sometimes race car drivers are their own worst enemies. And they would much rather go fast than be safe. Right. And we had some unfortunate accidents that mm. could have been prevented. And since that time, NASCAR has gone with one tire supplier. It is Good year. Good year. It's it's been good year forever. Yeah. Um, I, in fact, I got to tour the factory where they make those tires um, last year in August. Those tires are handmade, and Goodyear specializes each tire to the type of track they're running. So wow. every track is different. It's got different length. It's got different banking. It's got different type of asphalt. Mm-hmm. And so each tire for each race is different, but every team uses the same tires. They are not allowed, not allowed to, to Not allowed them. to variate. Yeah, they can't do anything to those tires once they get them. So now, are they like the tires in F1 where you have the slicks, you have some very light treads for uh, different tracks, and then they're like the tire that might give a little, I forget what they use in F1 for rain, but it's like a tire with a giant zigzag on it. Yeah, uh, they're called compounds. Yeah. So you have a different compound for different conditions. Um, But what, what it sounds like is, the tire manufacturer Goodyear has kind of gone in a generalized solution by by manufacturing a tire particularly for one track and then the next track and then the next track and then every every team gets that. Whereas in F one, no, you your can, team can run right. with slicks. Pirellis, I can run with I can whatever. Run with, is. You can run with the tread. You can run with yeah. slicks. It's it's up to the team to determine what they think is best for the track. Yes. Uh, one of the things, having spent eight hours in a downpour at the Petit Le Mans at, at, at Atlanta, um, one of the things I like about NASCAR is that when it rains, we go inside and wait for it to stop raining. We don't insist on staying out there and running. So yeah. NASCAR, you know, at road courses, we might use rain tires, mm-hmm. but in general, we don't. Sound like good old-fashioned common sense to me. Sounds like you don't like racing. <laughs> To me, because uh, <laughs> my boys don't mind getting wet, because they'll just duck into the pit lane, slap on some wet weather tires, and then get out there and play who goes fastest right, again. And I'm going to tell you something. Now, that sounds more uniquely American than the other thing about going indoors, so I'm going to give you points on that one, because oh, I, I got to admit. I don't want sympathy points. Yeah, I got to admit, like, you know, Americans love their sports to, 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 you know, we love football, and when it rains or snows or hails yeah. or even lightnings, they, nobody calls the game. They're just like, if God wants us to die for football, then God wants us to die for football. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think we got to take a break. <laughs> All right. We will take that break. Yeah. I am still right. F1 is better. And when we come back, I will be slapped down once again. So uh, stick around. We'll have more from Dr. Deandra Leslie Plecky when we return. Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with their no-surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a Block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com guarantees. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for 
any you. And that's good because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. This episode is brought to you by Progressive where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Playing with science, uh, Gary O'Reilly and Chuck Nice here with one of the most interesting guests we've had on, Dr. Deandra Leslie Pilecki. Yes. Who, nanotechnology, nanomedicine, the, the physics of NASCAR. Yeah. And what we will only describe as NASCAR expertise. Extraordinary. To the square root of something rather large. That's right, my friend. There yes. we go. There, the good um, doctor is really fascinating to talk to, and uh, I got a feeling that she might be coming down on my side of the argument that yeah. NASCAR is the better racing No, no, sport. I think if you remember just way saying, back to the last just section, that I got sympathy points for driving in the rain. Hey, listen, I'm going to give you that. Okay, that that sounds like you would you would think you know. As a matter of fact, so is it more dangerous? Uh, not, okay, let me rephrase that before I say something really idiotic. In NASCAR particularly, <clears throat> um, is driving in the rain something that is so dangerous that you just doesn't make sense to do it? Yeah, again, that goes to the weight difference. Right. So yeah. you have to have friction to keep the car Absolutely. on the track. Right. The heavier the car is, the more friction you need. That's right. And so it's a lot easier to keep the lighter car on the track right. than it is to keep the stock car on the track. The other problem is that, um, you know, these are closed cockpit cars, yes. unlike the F1 car. Yeah. And um, we tried out rain tires. I want to say if it was Road America or if it was in Montreal a couple years ago. And they had this great video of Carl Edwards, one of the drivers, reaching around out of the window with a rag trying to clean off his windshield because it was fogging up. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, they'd have to put in a defroster and blinker lights and all those things. It's just more trouble. Can you imagine he's doing that and then the police pull up next to him? That'd be so funny. Yeah, yeah, you're right. (laughs) I guess it just doesn't make a lot of sense to do it, you know. And you're right about the friction thing. You you don't think about it, but it's almost like like sledding when you were a kid. You know, when it comes to sliding on that, you you really. You really want a fat kid on the back of that sled. Oh, you went there again, <laughs> didn't you? Yeah, exactly. But by the way, I do feel as if you're taking back those sympathy points. Um, all right, Doctor, you talk about bump drafting, and obviously that, that's not something I'm familiar with in Formula One. Um, would you be kind enough to explain bump yeah, drafting there, to me? Yeah, there's no bumping in Formula One. Well, there, there is. It's just not there for any uh, drafting benefit. Yeah. It's there because you don't like the guy in front. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, the whole concept of unavoidable contact is utterly foreign to NASCAR, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, it is part of the game. Yeah, it's a contact so, sport. <laughs> it is a contact sport. Um, four times a year, we go to two very big tracks. Right. So Daytona and Talladega. Right. Mm-hmm. One is two and a third miles. One is two and a half. Right. At those tracks, um, we actually run a plate that restricts the amount of air coming into the engine. 
And if you restrict the air coming in the engine, you have to restrict the amount of gasoline coming into the engine. So the cars have less horsepower. They're down to about 450 horsepower at wow. the tracks. That's like there are cars on the street that have 450 horsepower. Mm -hmm. They are. And if you took one of them out on one of those really big tracks at Daytona, they would probably have some of the same problems, which is that if you get going fast enough and then you turn, the car starts looking like an airplane wing. Right. And it lifts off. Yeah. Right. And so that's why we have to restrict the the, um, horsepower at those tracks. So what they figured out, and in fact, this was years ago, right? Um, Junior Johnson found out that if he got up to a car... At, at Daytona, if he got right up behind the car, and by right up, I don't mean like two feet, a foot, I mean like two inches. Right. He went faster. Yeah. He actually felt the car being pulled forward. And that's because of the aerodynamics. We had and that so with Lance Armstrong. Remember right. we talked yeah, about talk, that? Yeah, Lance Armstrong, Armstrong talks about the same thing, about like l- r- drafting, really yeah. drafting, with, but getting, it's not being behind the guy. It's being almost that your tire is touching his tire and what he's doing is clearing a path for you. But more importantly, he's in effect pulling you. Yeah. So what happens there to make that happen? Because now everybody can understand when you visually think about cutting through something like cutting through the air or making a wake in the water and then riding inside of that wake. But the thing that might be a little counterintuitive is the whole pulling uh, part of that. So can you break those down? So if you think about what a wake is in the water, it's the absence of water, right? Right. Okay, so a wake in the air is an absence of air. That's a vacuum. There you go. Clean air. Gotcha. Yeah. And so you're actually being pulled along. Right. And drivers can feel that. You can actually hear the engine rev up when they're drafting. And if you're in the car, you can, I tried and tried to get somebody to take me bump drafting and I never got to do it. Um, But you can actually feel it in the car. You'll feel yourself being pulled ahead. Interesting. And so as a strategy, yeah, uh, especially in in, in F1-2, right? Oh, yeah. As a strategy, is this, does this keep you on the course longer? Save gasoline? Is, it, is that the reason why you do that? You're, you're, you're actually using that other guy's work? Yeah. Well, it's actually a little more cooperative in NASCAR. I'm not sure if this is the case in Formula One. In NASCAR, when two cars get together, they both go faster. Oh. And it can be like three, five miles an hour faster, depending on cars. What, what do you and think so that's because? Why do you think that is? Because normally it's the car in front does all the hard work because they're fighting the dirty air and the car behind has got the clean air. Dirty air. Yes, dirty air. Mm. Thank you. Behave yourself. you dirty air. <laughs> You're so dirty air. <laughs> Carry on, doctor. Sorry, ignore Sorry, Doc. Sorry. Yeah. Ignore Stewie. I can't, listen, I can't help myself sometimes. You know, it's like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have inappropriate Tourette's. It's no, like, yeah. You have, a, you have a Stewie Griffin thing going yes. on. Yes. But, okay. So anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, I really off track this. Let's get back to Gary's question, yeah. which is why the faster, you know. Yeah, we, for, we, for the both of them. For the both of them. Sure. If you think about the car by itself, it has to break the air in front, and it's also got forces on the back. Mm-hmm. So it's got to ah. use energy to get through the front and the back. If I put two cars together, it just looks like one really long car. Ah. So you've gotten rid of the force on the back of one and the force on the front of the other. Ah. And they go faster. And it, it keeps adding on. If you can get three cars together, four you can, cars. Really? Oh, you get a caravan. It, it, you know what? Yeah. That makes sense because when you look at the patterns of NASCAR, Okay, I'm not talking about at the beginning of the race where everybody is jockeying. I'm talking about when you're, you know, many laps in and you'll see a line of cars where they're nose to butt, butt to nose, nose to butt. And they're just zipping around and they they, it looks like they I thought it was kind of a coincidence. But now that you pointed this out, this is they're doing this purposely. This science. This they're 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 utilizing the science, and that's why you get this little convoy of cars. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. And this was discovered a long time ago. And it wasn't discovered by engineers or in the lab. It was discovered on the track by a race car driver. And his name was Ricky Bobby. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, This was before Ricky Bobby. This is before Ricky Bobby? What was his name? Junior Johnson. Junior Johnson. Oh, cool, man. That's cool. Speaking of Ricky Bobby, before... (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm serious. I'm serious. All right, okay. Speaking of Ricky Bobby. Yes. Uh, I've heard you say, or maybe I read where you said there was a intersectionality of NASCAR fans and science fans. Now, most people would kind of laugh at that statement. You know what I mean? Because you don't see a lot of science fans walking around with their shirt off with a bud in their hand. You know what I mean? Science! I love it. So what, what, <laughs> tell me, why do you say that? Racing is the art of going fast, and yes. it's the science of going fast. And, you know, if you want your driver to win, he has to be the fastest driver. So you want to understand, why isn't he going faster? And, you know, one of the things about NASCAR is you can actually listen in over the radio to the discussions between the driver and his crew chief. And so you can listen to them and you can under, you know, you can hear this isn't going right. Okay, I'm going to make this change. That didn't help. You can hear the driver's aggravation level or rise. You know, you can hear all that. So they want to understand if their driver is not winning, why? And the answer is almost inevitably, well, sometimes it's human error, but mostly it's science. That's really cool. I would love to. Do, do any of these pit guys have a Scottish accent where they're just going, I'm giving her all she's got. Cotton, I can't give her any more power. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but there should be. <laughs> Doctor, do not under any circumstances encourage him. <laughs> That's that that is just that is like that is just like that's three green lights Stark. and he's gone. And there's no there's no bringing him back. So let's go back. Let's go back to drafting. Okay, go ahead. Park that thought and break on. I'm already doing a whole sketch of Star Car in my you head. Are. I know you are. Car Trek, whatever you want to call it. Car Trek, that's even better. Car Trek. He's got me in a tractor beam. To I'm... boldly go where <laughs> everyone has gone before, left. <laughs> All right, sorry. Okay, so... Let's go, let's go. <laughs> we have the the convoy of nose to tail, but surely there'll be... Because this is something... I go back to the interview we did with Lance Armstrong, or, or right. Neil deGrasse Tyson did, and he said, I might tuck in to one side or the other, Depending on crosswind. Yeah. Depending on actual environment. It's got nothing to do with the track, although we are on banking. Um, he said, I will sit in that pa that position, left or right behind, to give me maximum drafting. Do we still play the same games with NASCAR? You do, but they are not as subject to things like wind. Right. Or small variations because, you know, a bike is... Sure. Much lighter and right. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah, wispy. Yeah. It's wispy compared to a car. It is. But you know, one of the things they said about Dale Earnhardt is that he could see the air. He just had a knack for knowing where to be. Uh, another thing you can do is actually the slingshot pass, which has to do with getting up right behind a car. And you can use the aerodynamics to actually slow that person down uh -huh. and then pass them. Um, one of the drivers said, sometimes you don't have to pass a guy. You can just get so close to him that the back end gets unstable. And he'll want you to go around. Okay, now. So, oh, he'll, so, he'll so, give you the so, pass. He'll give you the pass. Okay, talk about that because <clears throat> a lot of times when you are watching NASCAR, and uh, we'll talk more about this in the next segment because we're about to take a break, but uh, it looks like the back, the driver who's following does a pit move on the front driver. It looks as if he's knocking the back of his car and the back of the car spins out. Is this due to the aerodynamics? He's not really bumping the back of the car, but he's just destabilizing the airflow to a point where the car spins out? Sometimes that is the case. You don't have to actually hit a guy to make him go around. You Ooh. can just get in the right place. See, you make you make this sport so exciting. So, okay, so many nuances that we don't even know that there's happening when we're watching this. It just looks like dudes running around in a circle, and it is not. It is so much more. The Klingons have their own team. Oh my god! <laughs> they got to disrupt. That us. is that is awesome. <laughs> that is. Uh, it's all about honor. <laughs> we go left with All right, honor. Here, here, Doctor, uh, this is something <laughs> that might appeal to you. Is a loud car faster than a quiet car? Because am I right? There's no mufflers on mm. NASCAR? Yeah. Yeah, there's no mufflers because a muffler would slow the air getting out of the engine, which would slow, slow the, car the car down. down. So, yeah, so no mufflers are fast. Mm -hmm. um, the louder the car, 
Yeah. Okay. So it depends. Now, here's another difference between open wheel cars and NASCAR. Uh-huh. Okay. NASCAR uh, has the engines and they're sort of limited. They want to keep them below 10,000 RPM because once you go above 10,000 RPM, you're no longer talking about steel and titanium. You're talking about titanium, aluminum, and other really, really expensive alloys. What they call exotic alloys. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to because you 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 sacrifice the structural integrity uh, when you get above those speeds, and so you have to be able to maintain that. Otherwise, it's extremely dangerous. Darling, we use exactly. carbon fiber. I know you do. <laughs> See, that's but that, now I'm going to say that it the, the carbon fiber is you know. That's pretty dope. Which, which, is a NAS, which is a NASA invention. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. But you were saying, doctor. Sorry, doctor. Okay, but, but I have to say, NASCAR uses carbon fiber too. Yay! I'll sit the down and be quiet. hoods and the deck lids, the trunks. Trunks, yeah. Carbon fiber, the front part of the car, the, um, you know, the part that you bump into with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the bumper. The yeah. <laughs> they don't really have bumpers, but exactly. we'll call it that. <laughs> uh, that's carbon fiber. The dashboards are even made of carbon fiber now. Ooh. Because they want to take the weight out of the top of the car right. and get it as get low, it to as, low possible. as possible, so, lower the center of gravity. Yeah. Yeah. So you asked about volume. The problem in comparing it is that an F1 car or an Indy car runs at a much higher frequency. And if you think about the sound of like a bee buzzing, mm-hmm. that's because of how fast they flap their wings. Correct. So NASCAR cars run down around 9,000 RPM. And so you have to take into account the fact that we probably hear the NASCAR cars being louder because they're lower frequency. Mm-hmm. So now the question begs the question, uh, I'm just asking this from a general physics standpoint, is, uh, is a loud sound a loss of energy? Is there a way to recapture that energy and put it back into the car? This is one of the sad things. No, there is not. Oh. So if you think about what happens, if you clap, what you're doing is moving air molecules. That's right. And the air molecules by your hand move a lot. Okay. And they bump into the ones next to them. They move a little. They move a little. And it keeps going out. The louder the sound, the more energy. So all that energy is being transferred from a few air molecules by your hand mm-hmm. to all these air molecules throughout the room. Okay. And that energy is lost. You There's... There's at present no way to recapture it. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, I think I just f- figured out what I'm going to do to get my Nobel Prize. Yes, I am going to steal it like I always plan to. Okay. All <laughs> right. Uh, we're going to take that break. Doctor, when we come back, I- I'd love to talk to you about energy recapture that they have in Formula One and is it present in NASCAR and what you think NASCAR will look like in the future and possibly sound like in the future. And Um, I would like to talk about crashing. Yes! Anyone listening surprised at that comment? Yes! Neither am I. That's right. Right. We're going to take that break. More from Dr. Deandra Leslie Pilecki when we come back. The Physics of NASCAR with Dr. Deandra Leslie Pilecki, who, if you've been listening so far, is wonderful and uh, not encouraging Chuck to disbelieve that NASCAR is better than Formula One. I think, I we, am, I think uh, we have already figured out the answer there, my friend. I am out now. America! Mm. Ricky Bobby! Mm. <laughs> <sighs> right, energy recapture. In Formula One, they have it where from braking... You can recapture that energy and bring it into the power unit for the car itself. Does NASCAR have anything like that? Is it proposing to bring anything like that into their racing? It's really not at this point. And a lot of that has to do with how technical the cars are. I mean, one of the reasons I'm happy I went with NASCAR for the book instead of Formula One is I can understand the NASCAR car. Okay. I mean, it's fairly simple. You know, we got off carburetors a couple of years ago. We had carburetors up until, I think, 2013. Oh, my God. <laughs> mm. That's... And we use, we use leaded fuel. Oh, my God. This is shocking. Who knew this? Formula One. It, it, but that's so funny. 
But why? I mean, is it is it just tradition? I mean, clearly, what is it? Well, you know, as I said, the technology is an issue. To put something like energy recapture on a NASCAR race car, um, that'd be really hard to do just because of the way it's evolved. Right. The Formula One car is so much better for that. But um, sports car racing would be better for it than stock car racing. Correct. Just yeah. because of the way the cars are. Yes, exactly. Um, and But I also want to say, you're right. Uh, people don't like change. And NASCAR fans especially, there is such a sense of history and tradition. Yeah. They don't like it when you change things. Okay. And we've changed a lot of stuff recently. Well, yeah. I mean, I. it's funny when you were saying that, I started thinking about like old NASCARs and like what they look like today. And I'm, I, I, I got to admit, they're, they don't look anything alike anymore. I mean, they, they have the same basic shape, but there's a lot that has changed. Can you talk about what some of the changes that have happened? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, it went from its founding in the 50s. It went from being starting with a stock car and bulking it up, putting in the tube frame, putting in all the safety devices to building a chassis that is a really safe cage around the driver mm. and then putting the body on around it. Right. So, you know, these aren't cars you could go out and buy. They look sort of like the cars you could go out and buy. Right. Um, but for, for safety point of view, as the speeds got higher, they really had to focus on safety. And when you lose perhaps the premier person in your sport, yeah, that yeah. is something that you all of a sudden decide yeah. this needs to be fixed now. And that was a terrible, so safety. terrible yeah. tragedy to this day that still resonates, I, I'm sure, not only throughout the sport, but throughout just all of automotive uh, uh, culture, period. It does. When you go to a race today, um, a, you will always see people in the stands putting up three fingers on the third lap yeah. in memory of Dale Earnhardt. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, which now, damn, now I wanted to get into Crassy, but now I'm, now I'm depressed. I don't want to get All right, into well, let's it. Take, let's take you out of your moment of depression. Okay. And let's look towards the future. Um what will NASCAR look like in the future? What will NASCAR, and I say this t slightly tongue-in-cheek, but with an idea of maybe, what will it sound like in the future? How far in the future do you want to go? It's up to you, Doctor. I say let's start with uh, the good old-fashioned 10 years from now. And Ten then, years out. And then go 20 years. Okay, 10 years out. I don't think you're going to see a lot of changes uh, there wow. will be a new car in 2021. All right. And so you will see some changes in aerodynamics. You will probably see, remember, a lot of NASCAR is helping manufacturers sell cars to people because those cars are cool. Okay. Right? So that's really our primary motivation for doing the stock car racing. Ooh. Very cool. So who's going to be driving them? We have Danica Patrick for a while. Uh, that lady has moved on, but she kind of was beginning to... Maybe I'm wrong, and you'll correct me. Regenerate some of the NASCAR audience. Danica had an incredible impact on young females, uh, teens, girls. Yeah. Because you know, you look at something; it's like science. When you look at a bunch of scientists, and all you see are old white men, you don't think of yourself as being in that lineup. Right? I know. I think I do. Sexy. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe I do. <laughs> anyway, you were saying, so where will we see an influx of female racers? Is it down to funding? Is it down to they bring a TV audience with them? Or is it quite simply they're there because they're good enough? Well, Danica... It had an audience to bring with her from Formula One. That's right. right. So most of the up-and-coming young women are in their 19, 20, 21-year-old range. Right. They don't. But there are a number of really good female drivers coming through the ranks. The problem that you've got is there's a limited number of seats. And, you know, I hate to say this with respect to Formula One, but it's very expensive to run a NASCAR car. It's not Formula One expensive. It's anywhere between 20 and $40 million a year yeah. on a car at the yeah. top level. Wow. So how are you going to fund that? And a lot of what drivers are having to do today is can they bring money in to fund the car? Well, this was why you see every single advertisement in the world slapped onto the car itself because that's that's who's paying. When you're when you're watching that race, that's they're not 
they're not just advertising. That's those people are paying for that team. That ad that only works when they're parked because you're not seeing much at 200 miles an hour. <laughs> just thinking about that. Um, let's spin that into Formula One. Um, they they're going to bring a W Series forward this year f- uh, for women only. Um, I think it's about 18 or 20 drivers. They're going to race uh, 270 horsepower, 1.8 Alfa. Here's the commercial. 1.8 Alfa Romeo. C3s. So there you go. So will that be a good way forward for women racers or is it going to meet with more than just wind resistance? Uh, they, there has been a lot of objection to the idea of a W Series. And surprisingly, a lot of it has come from women race car drivers. Pippa Mann, who's driven mm-hmm. in IndyCar, yep. has, um, she's not driving right now because she doesn't have the money for a ride. Wow. And so Damn. she's looking at that and saying, okay, you're putting all this money, and they're putting a lot of money into the W Series. You're putting all this money into these young drivers. Why not use that money and fund people who are already on the cusp of breaking through as opposed to starting over? Lynn St. James, who's another person who's a race car driver, another race car driver, has spoken out against it saying, you know, racing is one of the few places where men and women can compete together on an an even basis. Now, what's interesting is the last I looked at the W Series website, she's now one of the people who's going to help pick those 18 to 20 women who end up in the series. Hmm. Interesting. So let me ask you, and this is a personal question because this is a matter of opinion. Do you think that this becomes something where... Um, it's not like a farm league, but it's kind of like um, generating interest amongst women, young women that creates an audience that will eventually merge? Or do you think it'll be like the WNBA where it just constantly remains in the shadow of this bigger, bolder, better financed product and as a result always seems to be inferior even though there may be a parity on the court, there is not in the actual, in anything else. Yeah, I think the test of this series is not going to be, does the series become popular, but do the drivers who are in it make their way up to GP1, Mm. Formula One? Interesting. Interesting. So if if it becomes something that can catapult a driver out of the W Series with the talent, the big teams, and you know full well, they don't care who's in the seat as long as that person can win. Then uh, if that person emerges out of W Series, they will get the opportunity. And how is it going to take just one or is it going to take a one, two, three, four, five races before people really get to grips with the idea of these girls can actually race? Well, you know, there's a theory, and I learned this first in, in the whole women in science thing, uh, called critical mass, right. which is mm-hmm. that things don't change until you have 15 to 25% women in it. Gotcha. So this is the problem with Danica having gotten in NASCAR. She was one. Yeah. And it's easy to say that's an anomaly. Right. We've had, we've had our one. We tried women. It didn't work. Right. So it's going to take getting more than just one person in before it really starts to change things. Interesting. All right, let's switch gears for a second because I want to talk about uh, the the thing that people love in NASCAR. Even oh, you get out of your depression now. I, yeah, you? I am. I yeah, mean, we, you're over we, that bump. We hate to we hate to admit it because it seems somewhat morose, but we like the crash. Okay, that's all there is to it. It's exciting. It's uh, and by the way, now that these cars are so much safer, it used to be like a, a crash happened and you were like, oh my god, and now like you. Fully expect that guy to come crawling out of that cage and wave to the crowd. And you're like, yay, property damage. That's all that happened. Yay. So. <laughs> you found a way to trivialize it. Yeah, man. <laughs> because it's true. So, okay. Two things. One, is there a physics of the crash? Two, what happens when it's a qualifying lap? And nobody is around the car at all. And all of a sudden, you see the car start wiggling and then boom, into the wall. What happened? Because guess what? You can't race for my team anymore. I'm sorry. You just, do you know how much that damn car costs, boy? Do you know how much that costs? I'm going to tell you, what you get no allowance for two years and you're going to cut the grass until you pay for that car. So what is the deal with that? Okay, Jeff Gordon crashed more than his share of cars when he first started racing. 
it's sort of expected you are going to crash a few cars. Why would a driver crash by themselves with yes. no one else there? Yes. Because there is a limit. There's a grip limit, right? And when you get past that limit, the car starts to slide. Oh. Racing is all about getting as close to that grip limit, limit as you can without going over. It's like the price of price is right game, oh. except the penalty is a whole lot higher because if you do go over it, you hit the wall. Wow. Wow. You just made me like the price is right. <laughs> I just want to see somebody go over the limit on the price is right and just get crushed by a wall now. Oh, okay. You're so <laughs> easily pleased, are you? <laughs> yeah, I really am. All right, so talk about this then, because uh, we had Neil deGrasse Tyson on the show, and he was talking about NASCAR and crashing, and he was like, what people don't understand is as long as that car is moving and bouncing and, and ping-ponging all over the place, that's a good thing. The driver's got a the chance. The driver's got a great chance. Yeah. But it's when the car stops, like dead, that's when uh, the most unfortunate thing happens. So what's, what's going on with that? Okay, so um, in physics terms, a moving car has kinetic energy, energy of motion. And that energy is proportional to how fast it's going squared. Which means your car going 60 miles an hour has about one-ninth of the energy of a NASCAR race car when it's going 180 miles an hour. Okay. okay. So we're talking about a lot of energy. A lot of energy. When you stop, that energy has to go somewhere. Uh -huh. When you pull into the pit, you're slowing down as you're coming in. Your brakes get warm, for example. There may be a squeal, sound energy. Um, and so you slow down. All that energy is dissipated over, you know, 100, 200 yards. Uh -huh. When you crash, um, energy is dissipated in other ways. And the technical terms are spinning energy, crunching energy, and, you know, destructive energy. And so the key with crashing is you want to channel all that energy from the race car so that it goes anywhere except your driver. Right. Right. And, and so, you know, it's funny because when I was learning to drive... They say, uh, they, they taught you, try your best, no matter what, to avoid a head-on collision of anything. You want to have a glancing blow. If you must hit something, I took a defensive driving course when I was a kid, but if you must hit something, you want it to be at a glancing blow. Um, can you explain what, what, what is the, I suppose, the dissipation of energy is what that is about, right? Yeah, if you think about two cars coming head on, there is nowhere for the energy to go except into the each car. Mm -hmm. If they can glance, well, now you've got other places for the energy to go because you're still moving. And so you might lose some of your energy as you hit the other car, but then you'll keep going. And so that's why, you know, if you're bouncing and tumbling along the infield, you're dissipating a little bit of kinetic energy each time. Right. And therefore, you're not having one big crash, which is what's most dangerous for the driver. And which is then why the they guy... all go around the same direction right. in NASCAR. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then the guy crawls out and waves to the crowd, and you're just like, best brakes ever. Yeah. <laughs> well, talking of crashing... Um, I know. And full stops. Full stops. We got. This is the end of our stop. show. Dr. Deandra Leslie Pilecki, what an honor and a pleasure. Thank you for your insight. Uh, you are the best, Doc. And thank you for your patience with us. And I agree with you. Formula One is better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done, my friend. Right. I've been Gary O'Reilly. And I've been Ricky Bobby. And from Ricky and I, we'll see you all very, very soon. This has been Playing With Science. Hope you've enjoyed it.